Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's Invisible Not Broken. All right, so this episode is a long time coming. We have been trying to get together for, I think it's been about six months to get this interview, and I'm so glad we finally got together because this is an amazing interview. Um, We might not have seen eye to eye on everything, but what an amazing person she is. And we are talking about epilepsy, and it is a disorder I have to say I don't know a whole lot about, at least not until I had a talk with Emily. And um, I was so impressed with her, and I am just amazed at everything that she has to think through in a day because the interview started with her talking about how this doesn't affect her daily life. But as we talked more and more, I'm just amazed at how much she's adapted her life to keep herself safe. So here are some of the things we covered. Um, first off, I am just so impressed with how articulate she is. She is amazing to listen to and to talk to. She is so clear and amazing. And you can just really see how um, great of a writer she is. And I can't wait for her to publish something. So that was something we talked about, that creative writing um, and memoir writing is very healing for her. Um, I really honestly cannot wait to read what she writes. Uh, she gave such an incredible description of what it's like to come out of a seizure. Um, we talked about the vulnerability of seizures and the secret power of invisible disability. She really turned what I felt was a negative into a positive. So that was fascinating. Um, we discussed dating and epilepsy. And there's a lot here, even if you don't have epilepsy, a, a lot of this applies to any chronic or invisible illness. Uh, one of the things that she has decided not to do is to not to drink anymore. So we talked a lot about what it's like to not drink socially, um, especially here in the United States where that's almost like, that becomes really crunchy and hard to explain sometimes. All right, so you are going to hear my cat having a hissy fit. Um, we were interviewing in my studio and there's a glass French door and the cat was doing everything she could to get in. I swear I do not abuse my animals, but you would never know it by the way she is meowing. Um, just something to listen for and to understand. Okay, so back to what's going on. Uh, we had a long talk about medical marijuana, um, not just the medical marijuana California laws, some issues I have with that. Also, the incredible reality of... Um, medical refugees and families trying to get their epileptic children into a state that allows for medical marijuana. We talked about Charlotte's Web, which was almost pioneering in um, medical marijuana and also medical marijuana and epilepsy. We talked a lot about the financial realities of those of us who are on disability. So if you know anyone who has strong opinions about those of us who collect disability, but maybe they don't understand the realities. This is a good episode to share with someone who just maybe might want to have a different perspective of what actually happens when you are on disability and what the financial realities of that are. Um, We talked about Pixar um, because that was a news story right when we were doing the interview that The Incredibles Part 2 was causing epileptic seizures and we had a chat about that uh we talked about some triggers of epilepsy that one might not expect so that was fascinating uh we talked about what to do if you see someone who has a seizure this is some really good information talked about service dogs and epilepsy um what the world could do to help keep people with epilepsy safe and did not mean to necessarily call out pyology, but hey, pyology, if anyone who works there is listening, your bulbs are actually a real threat to people who have migraines or epilepsy. So just a thing for you guys to all think about. 
she has some really cool rose-colored glasses that are not just for fashion. These are incredibly helpful for her. Talked about MCT oil for epilepsy, a whole bunch about dieting stuff that actually, it's not about losing weight at all. It's just about uh, the ketogenic diet, which I had no idea was developed for people um, with uh, pediatric epilepsy. Um, she does use the word paleo-ish, which is my new favorite word. Uh, talked about a wheat belly book, different types of epilepsy. Uh, she explained absence seizure, which I never heard of. It uh, gave an incredible description of exactly what a seizure feels like. And she got me to be speechless. We had a really intense and I felt really good talk about the fear of death. I, of course, had to bring things back to RuPaul uh, because it's me. And I did not talk much about politics this episode, so I was going to bring in drag queens. And we talked about Ms. Cracker. I had just watched an episode, I think the day before, two days before we recorded, that really explained something well. And I, I explained in the episode, please listen, it's near the end. One of the things we talked about was um, vulnerability and privilege when you're coming out of disorienting things. We didn't necessarily agree with this or have the same life experiences, but I think it's really definitely worth a discussion about maybe EMTs and uh, emergency doctors having more education on what different disabilities and chronic illnesses look like because they can really mirror. Like when I have a POTS attack, I can really mirror a drug issue and that's not what's going on. So we did have a talk about that. Also, one of my favorite discussions about life decisions that you have to make and some things to think about with chronic illness, such as pregnancy, um, medications and pregnancy, health issues. Um, there's a lot to unpack there. So definitely listen towards the end for that. She gave a great description of what it was like to get through the process of diagnosis. So if you can't tell, I adore Emily. We might not agree with everything together, but she is fantastic. And this is um, a really wonderful interview to listen to and share. Again, please share. <laughs> um, we are just coming on our one-year anniversary, and thank you so much to everyone who listens and shares and subscribes and says nice things about us on iTunes. I can't thank you enough. We just hit 10,000 subscribers in a month, so massive gratitude. Please continue to share us. I can't tell you how important that is and how much that means to Kiros and I when you guys say nice things to us. It, we read every everything, and um, sometimes you guys have no idea how much a nice sentence means to us. I just realized I've been talking for six minutes. I'm going to stop so you can listen. Have a great week. See you next week, and um, yeah. So I finally got you over here. We've been trying to get this internet going for an embarrassingly long time. It was like moving heaven and earth. It really was. It's just hilarious because we're actually doing this at my house. Yes. And like we aren't far away from each other. Yeah. And this still took a long time to get like yeah. our illness schedules to yeah. like stay. So do you want to tell everyone like what you're dealing with? Sure. What your name is? Sure. My name is Emily and I have epilepsy. And we met in the craziest way. We did. It was really just lots of synchronicity it was so funny yeah. it's like there's that little pop-up coffee shop right next to a trader joe's yep. and i think you had like the beautiful dog with you yeah and i am such a dog person yeah i had my brother's dog and we were at the small town space which is so cute yeah. i love the idea of that place mm -hmm. like i wanted the pop-up coffee shop to stay forever i was so yeah. sad when it stopped yeah me too they had to make some decisions with that on partnerships. So. Depressing. So, well, uh, Kira's my co-host will laugh his butt off because every time I'm so good at like off topic. Right. So. <laughs>
I actually only know about epilepsy from what I've seen in media. Mm-hmm. Um, I I really don't know a lot about what your life is like, what kind mm-hmm. of medications you have to take, and what precautions you have to take. So let's start with, is there anything about your daily life that is significantly affected by epilepsy? I'm really fortunate in that, not really. Okay. I, I got really lucky, and you only realize how lucky you are when you, like, compare yourself to other people. Comparison will either make you miserable or, like, or, reading the, or like you read the yeah. obituaries in the morning to know you're having a better day. Like, it, it, you either get to, like, go, oh, yay, or it's um, what Mark Twain said, the, the root of dissatisfaction. Yeah, yeah. So I do take medication twice a day, um, and I'm really fortunate to be in a job that isn't super stressful. Um, a lot of epilepsy is just knowing your triggers and how to combat that. There were times when I had really emotionally exhausting jobs or days when I had to get up really early and I didn't realize why I was so tired by like two o'clock because I had been talking to people for like two hours and super stressed and oh, I had too much coffee. Just little tiny things that really make you have to surrender to your body. I think that's the hardest part. Wow. That's a great way to phrase that. Yeah. Surrendering to your body. Because <laughs> it's really frustrating and it takes a long time to build humility because you say, oh, I want to be able to stay up till like two in the morning with my friends on a camping trip or I want to be able to have coffee at whatever time of day. And um, yeah, there's just so many different changes that I've had to adopt over the years that you just kind of forget about I guess as you move forward I did stop drinking like two or three years ago and that was weird socially because I'm finally at the point where I just say oh I don't drink because for a while I'd say oh I don't drink anymore and they're like what do you mean (laughs) I don't always use it as a dialogue point to tell people I have epilepsy because you don't tell everyone that so Our culture is so, we're here in the United States for anyone who's um, listening internationally, and thank you, by the way, for listening to us from other countries. Um, At least here in the United States, drinking and eating are huge, So and coffee, are huge social points. Like, this is what we have our business meetings around. This is how friends gather is for a glass of wine. This is like... Even like dates. Yeah. Like, let's go grab a beer. Yeah. Or a cup of coffee if you're just like on like the social media sites meeting on like um, swipe right, swipe left. I've been married for a long time. Please forgive like my (laughs) incredible ignorance on dating apps. Um, But there's so much around that. And when Mm -hmm. you say I don't drink, that leads to quite a few assumptions, I I would think. Yeah. Just as I'm assuming that. Yeah. I was at the rodeo and I met another woman who's like much older than me. And she's like, yeah, I don't drink either just because. Some people, alcoholism's in their family, or they've experienced someone who's been in, like, some catastrophic accident, and so I'm like, well, what do you tell people? And she's like, oh, I tell people I'm in AA or something, and it's just so silly. That's the easiest way to do it. It, it is. It's just to go, yeah, we're, you know, just give them that assumption and that answer, and then you're all set, and it's if like... If you're a good liar, and yeah. If you really want, like, if you really just want to short-circuit a lot of conversation, you just go with that. Yeah, or you say, oh, I used to drink too much, because I, I did. I used to drink too much in college. You... It's easy to normalize, like, three beers and a shot and another beer. (laughs) It It seems like something so American, though. It's so American. It's awful. Yeah, when I was traveling, it wasn't like, um, 
it's almost like a, I deserve this. So it's like sugar, caffeine, and alcohol are like these like rewards for getting through the day or mm. for starting the day. Like, I'm good. I'm going to work or I'm going to go adult now. I'm having my coffee. I just adulted all day. I'm going to have my glass of wine. Yeah. I'm totally the person who does that, by the oh, way. Yeah. But <laughs> it's really interesting how we, we reward ourselves with these things like yeah. it's a very strange little dichotomy I think that the advertisers are really good at getting us to yeah and psychologically you shouldn't reward yourself with food or no and if you or... think about like how much this affects like a lot of different conditions like there are people who have alcoholism but mm. that is a huge part of their day is just trying to get through without things like there's people with food addiction issues there's people with like so many like uh, talking to all the people with gastro issues Mm -hmm. like the eating culture is like torture for them so for you like growing up through your 20s with epilepsy how did this affect your social life well side note some alcoholics develop epilepsy because of the withdrawal wow i did not know that that's the reason like you don't drink it's not the drinking so much as it is withdrawing from the alcohol over time like even just the course of a night um, there were times before I gave up alcohol where I was drinking excessively and I'd wake up and I'd be like, oh, my cheeks all bit up or, oh, my back hurts. And there'd just be these tiny little signs because you have no way of knowing the type of seizures I have occur when I'm sleeping, that seizure activity. But there are other times where it can be triggered during the day. Um, since changing my medication, I've been really lucky in that. So like funny story, a year ago I got these rose colored glasses because fluorescent lights are horrible. I think that's a cool fashion statement. I guess Love me and rose. it took so long to get used to it. Because I was like, oh my seizure glasses. Unfortunately, <laughs> everyone's like, Oh, those are super dope. Are you an artist? Like no one you cares. As, cred. <laughs> no one cares as much as you thought they would, but it still feels just like a little defeat because you're like, oh. I can't stand those modern bulbs, and I'm just trying to have pizza with my friend. Let me put my glasses on, because I'm starting to feel woozy, or I'm having trouble finding my words. Um, But yeah, socially, like I said, it's just not something I really talked about very much, and it's strange. It took me, like, years to really start to be vulnerable about the epilepsy, because... Growing up and going to appointments, there were times where I know people with debilitating epilepsy who have to take Uber everywhere, or if you say, like, you're always kind of walking on eggshells because you don't want to say the wrong thing, you don't want your license to get taken away, you don't want to, like... So there were times where um, I'd be at appointments with my mother and she would just, like, beforehand, she'd be like, oh, like, what are you going to say? (laughs) So it was really liberating to be able to step away from that and be like, okay, I'm a new neurologist. I get to go in as an adult. Like when I was getting the glasses and altering some medication, it felt really empowering to hear like, oh, here's what we're going to do and you can lead a normal life. And it's, it's like this huge sigh of relief to even just start to talk about it. And it took a lot of work in therapy to realize like, why I wasn't talking about it and in November I took a writing class on memoir writing oh wow and I didn't expect to start writing about it at all I went in there just with totally different expectations of things I'd be processing creatively and we did this prompt where you write about the body and I found myself starting to write about what it feels like to come out of a seizure 
and how disorienting that is and the times when I've been in different places and that was really cool because I realized I can help someone experience that feeling and sort of bridge that gap because people always think of watching someone having a seizure or they think of how scary it is which is the weirdest part of telling someone is you don't know what they think about it that's the hardest part of being vulnerable is <laughs> you just let this bomb out there and they're like oh and it's hard not to be like oh does this change how they think of me and there's just such a power, too, in having an invisible disability. Oh, please tell me what that is. So, like, <laughs> I dated a paraplegic, and we would go somewhere, and immediately, like, oh, this person's in a wheelchair. People stare at you or whatever. And with invisible disabilities, no one knows. And you get to really choose who you let in on that. And wow. I mean, that's more the only way I've figured it out, even just in, like, who do you tell about your epilepsy or who do you tell about your learning disabilities and people can't tell or even when you think about like the horrors of the holocaust and how many disabled people were killed it's like oh they wouldn't be able to tell that we have disabilities <laughs> <laughs> you know and in this administration it's not entirely unthinkable like <laughs> yeah. sorry i anyone who listens to this podcast knows i'm <laughs> deeply political <laughs> but you know you're absolutely correct that's one thing that people don't necessarily talk about with the holocaust mm. is that there was entire other subsects than jews that were also put in the concentration camps mm. including homosexuals including people with disabilities mm. mental disabilities physical gypsies. disabilities gypsies like there's a lot there mm. that's so far from from what the narrative has been yeah and when you talk about narrative you really bring up so many great points of um the vulnerability yeah. of, you know, I never thought of it as a superpower. I always think it's a negative <laughs> thing being invisibly disabled because it's, um, I felt like it was more vulnerable being invisible than when I was able to use, when I use my wheelchair, because it's just an absolute, sorry, my cat's trying to break in right now. So if you're hearing mewing right now, um, the animals are circling. <laughs> um, when I think about like, being in the wheelchair, all of a sudden there is an absolute understanding that I am delicate mm -hmm. and I am, I, I dislocate so easily. So people give me a wider space yeah. and they're not jostling me. And there's a, you know, I can also run over toes if someone's like bothering me. <laughs> there's a protection level. Yeah. So I never thought about invisibility before as being a strength and a superpower. It's so funny. You can take anything and spin it the other way you and can. it becomes your superpower. Yeah. But it's probably hard for you too to be able to like have your feet in both worlds between maintaining some normalcy and then having to really succumb to like I can't walk today and I need to go get groceries let's uh, wheelchair like that's horrible like you have to really put on the armor of I am disabled like that's probably a weird you are such I can tell what a great writer you are oh, like just you. the armor of disability like that's so I never thought about it, but even using my sticks, my sticks make me look like a little superhero, you know, like a little mantis thing. And, um, like a praying mantis. Yeah, but there's, you're right, like, I think you and I are both have feet in both worlds, that mm. if we don't have something in front of us or you're not having a seizure, it's yeah. not possible to just look and go sick. Yeah, but it's been cool to see how it comes up, because, like I said, that perspective of other people's lives, um, 
side note, the FDA recently approved, like a couple days ago, they approved. I just retweeted it. Oh, yes. I'm so happy they yeah, approved. Please tell them. A, That's so exciting. It down because I forgot what the name of it is, but I I did see that go through because I'm a big um, marijuana advocate, and I assume that's what we're talking about is the new CBD drug for epilepsy. Yeah, yeah, it's um, Epidiolex, um, and so E P I D I O L E X, and so it is just it contains the cannabis as mm-hmm. the herb without the THC, which is amazing that they can even alter a strain like that um well epilepsy was really at the forefront of changing this law it was because like i said there are these kids who have 30 seizures a day and they have a seizure dog and people die from severe forms of epilepsy there's so many different types of epilepsy different parts of the brain that it affects and so i'm just glad that they have some relief in that and i'm excited to see i think there was a special or something about organ because that's where it really took off and the strain I think it was called Charlotte's Web. That was from Colorado. Colorado. Yeah. Okay. That was one of the big forefronts was um creating Charlotte's Web for mm-hmm. the little girl Charlotte who I think she had up to a hundred seizures a day. I can't imagine. And they were going to put her on a um chemically induced coma mm-hmm. so her brain could recover and this ended up helping her now she's like this healthy kid now yes. with only a few seizures a year. Yeah. And that's like amazing but mm-hmm. if you look at the law it was so it still is so crazy because you met the medical refugees of parents traveling to move to places where it's medically legal yes, yes. and they can't go back to their their home states not even to visit because mm-hmm. they have a, their child has a schedule one drug in them yeah and the child can be taken away by, by child protective services yes. and that is the most cruel horrible thing i can imagine I mean, the idea that, you know, knowing that this drug is actually out there mm-hmm. and will be helping people automatically should take marijuana off of Schedule 1. And for our international audience, Schedule 1 means that there is no medical use, high chance of addiction, high chance of death when no one has ever once died from an overdose of marijuana, mm-hmm. <laughs> not even with THC. So this shows that this actually has a medical purpose. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's what's important is the legitimate medicinal uses because there have also been articles I read a couple years ago this woman had cancer and she was trying to go through and get the medical marijuana card the right way Mm -hmm. through all the insurance and her husband went and got one like that by visiting one of those doctors you call and you're like yeah like I get nervous when I fly (laughs) or I get sad sometimes because there's so many people abusing it like your topic of people abusing handicapped parking spots or emotional support animals and what does that do to the people who actually oh, we need love that those you listen. things <laughs> yeah um yes uh so i personally am all for total legalization mm-hmm. of marijuana like I, I feel like it's actually way better than than drinking too much like yeah. there's so much less risk with it but what you're saying is actually a point because i really wish that the state would make a very big difference between medical and recreational use because yeah. Us medical people are often on disability with a very low um, income, <laughs> and to pay the, I think it's at 30% is the tax rate for mm-hmm. marijuana, even medical marijuana in okay. California, is, I, it puts my medicine at close to $400 a month that my insurance won't cover. <laughs> That's the other hard thing, is people with disabilities, I know a guy with a traumatic brain injury, he gets $500 a month in yeah. social security. 
my ex-boyfriend paraplegic 500 like about 500 600 dollars a month and you're like wow I, I might be able to eat this month as long as i have free rent and yeah you have to get really lucky with your setup and yeah it's strange to think it's hard because you think oh how do you put a number on your ability to be a person and have a purpose and that's probably where it's really hard is you're you're like oh this is what my disability is worth to somebody like or this is what my I feel like my shit. worth is like, here. yeah like yeah. that's a really like just personally like I am so lucky I'm married and my husband is wonderful and mm-hmm. he makes enough money that our my disability is a wonderful supplement but we did go for me making more than he did yeah so we lost like about three quarters of income wow. because I used to run my own photography studio and they yeah. I did well with that so it was um a huge income loss yeah. when I got too sick to work. And it was um, very unnerving as a um, child of guerrilla warfare feminism to, like, <laughs> I have worked since I was 13. <laughs> and then to suddenly, when you get disability, I, you probably know this from your, your ex-boyfriend, mm-hmm. but there's a huge percentage of a year that you can't work or bring yes. in money. Or it alters how much you receive. Uh-huh. Yeah. And that's um, devastating for someone who wouldn't, like, I was privileged and lucky I had we weren't going to starve. It was uncomfortable. We weren't mm. going to starve. I can't imagine what it would have been as a single mother. Yeah. Like, yeah. of two kids in California. Yeah. <laughs> it would have been insane. Definitely. So, for your medication, um, or actually, no, I wanted to go to something else that was trending in the news lately. Mm-hmm. Um, for epilepsy was the uh, Incredibles 2. And that there's a scene in Incredibles 2 that's incredibly bright flashing lights. Yeah. And it happens over and over and over again in the movie in unmarked things. There's nothing to know to lead up for it, and they didn't release an epileptic warning with the movie. Yeah. I, Did you hear about this? I saw that briefly, and even, like, roller coaster rides or stories of people walking around Walmart, like, the lighting. The fluorescent lighting is... I, I know almost nothing about epilepsy except what I've read in news okay. or seen in, in movies or TV. Okay. Um, for me, fluorescent lighting is really a trigger. I have frontal lobe epilepsy, and okay. so that affects my cognitive processing and some of the vision. And so for me, that was more the stimulus. I, When you do testing for epilepsy, they do so many things. There is a point where they flash strobes at you, and I kind of I avoid it at all costs, so I don't know how much of a trigger it is for me, but with epilepsy... There are certain things you grow out of, but yeah, that's brutal. Or even like camera flashing is hard for some people too. Um, Yeah, early on, we were in a restaurant once and these people were like celebrating a graduation or something. And so all sorts of camera flashes and, or even that, that movie, it reminds me, I work security um at a church and so we have uh musicals different points of the year and they did uh little mermaid and they did beauty and the beast and i don't remember which musical it was but the girl who um stars in some of those she's very talented but she has some severe epilepsy where she's had to do ketogenic diet and there's stories like she had a horrible seizure and, like, broke her leg because she fell down the stairs. Like, like those are the stories where you're like, wow. Like, and so she, um, there was rehearsals one night and she had a seizure. And she was, like, a couple feet from an open orchestra pit. Things like wow. that where you're like, oh, my gosh. 
gosh. And so there were times, though, in, I think it was The Little Mermaid, because there was a segment where there's flashing lights, because Ursula and all this yeah. show, and um, I was surprised they still put that in there with the girl being in, like, a lead yeah, part. Knowing that. But they had some <laughs> warning signage outside of all the doors, and um, but even that, it helps the dialogue of being like, oh, like, I understand, like, because we had certain little debriefings beforehand and they talk about like oh if that happens and even that can be a moment of educating people because many people don't know what to do if someone's having a seizure do you want to educate people yeah, what to sure. do because i wouldn't I, I i heard that you're supposed to like put a wallet in the teeth to make sure the mm. tongue isn't swallowed is that like total myth and... yeah don't do anything okay good mouth. please educate us <laughs> if anything make sure they're comfortable make sure they're not going to hurt themselves on surrounding items um try not to move them or like hold their head or mouth in any way because you can you can you're not going to see someone be like oh they have this kind of epilepsy I know how long they'll seize for it's different with everyone um and so you just kind of like when we did CPR they have that like recovery position so you can just kind of roll someone onto the side um or even if someone is having one you kind of catch them depending on how their body contorts or how they fall um and so yeah just keep them safe i read this great article recently you don't think about people with legit disabilities and the animals that they have to protect them and so there was a story as my wolf like snarls and growls (laughs) as you come through the door yes well there was this woman in the airport and she has a legit service animal i don't remember what her disability is but she fell or something and her dog is trained to go and find help. Mm-hmm. And the woman that it found, she's, like, pushing it away. Mm-hmm. And so the whole, like, story of the PSA was, like, if a service animal comes up to you, do what you can to respond to them. Have them take you to someone because someone might be in critical condition. Yeah. And they were even talking about, oh, well, we need to retrain that dog to find someone else. Like, if it's dismissed, what how do you teach the idea. dog to go and, like, Oh, next person, let me help her. Like, I mean, I, I feel like it's a legitimate thing. Like, yeah. I wouldn't have known what to do until I saw that PSA. If, like, a dog comes running up to you, generally, like, people who don't know dogs aren't big fans of dogs. Yeah. So really react to, like, the strange dog running up to them mm-hmm. without an owner. Yeah. That's, that's a good point. Is yeah. there, what would make, um, so, like, three questions running through my head, and they're trying to, like, <laughs> chase each one down. Um, what would make the world safer for someone with epilepsy what could is there like any things that could yes. be yes let's go through so what can make your life and moving through world, it easier <laughs> more in like when things were really difficult for me um do away with all these modern bullshit bulbs people are doing it's like all the chrome like the exposed swirly bulbs those I are horribly those. bright if wow. you go to like biology or even certain places I can't remember where else they are but yeah do away with the horrible bright light because if you have light sensitivity even apart from epilepsy if you have migraines if you have things where that is a trigger for me it's all I can zero in on which is where the glasses help a lot but it's it's fascinating how like that's all you go and look at so covers on fluorescent lights (laughs) no horrible bulbs um and I think it's more, I don't blame society, but people don't know how to talk about epilepsy. Okay. I mean, in 
I think it's a very prevalent disability, which is why every time I've brought it up, there's always this six degrees of separation. They're like, you're talking to someone and they're like, oh, my nephew has seizures or, oh, my boyfriend. Like, it's, you realize how small the world is and how much you can impact someone and learn from them because I didn't meet other people with epilepsy until like a couple years ago. I was at this party and I met that girl in the musicals I was talking about. And she was like, oh, I'm on the ketogenic diet. And I'm like, oh, that sucks. You don't respond to any medicine. Like, that's why that diet was developed for pediatric epilepsy. I had no idea. I just keep hearing it from, like, the Tim Ferriss, like, lose all this weight oh, yeah. sort of stuff. So this was developed for seizure disorder? Yeah. Yeah. It's had a big impact on epilepsy because grain is horrible for your brain. Grain, wheat, um, sugar. It causes your blood sugar to spike. Your brain responds a certain way. And food now is so addictive and so manufactured. And I did keto for, like, a month. I'm on, like, lazy, paleo-ish. Like, I'm... Okay, I love the term paleo-ish. I need that. <laughs> Fantastic. I haven't been, like, severely tracking or taking MCT oil or anything. But, yes, that diet was developed by a doctor who had these patients and they weren't responding. And so it's like, okay, what else can we alter? And it's high fat, um, veggies, a little bit of protein. It was such a frustrating like science to it. I still wasn't getting my macros right. You don't know if you're in ketosis, which is a stage where you're running on burning fat in your body instead of glucose. Mm. So it's really interesting for anyone who wants to read about it. Cheers. I, I'll put a link to it in the okay. show notes. No yeah. problem. Um, don't ever talk to me and expect me to be following it. No. It's not going to happen. That's fine. There's... Life without sourdough bread is not working it's for me. It's not for everybody. I tried. I, I did because I feel like the keto diet is recommended to anyone who's frustratingly sick, meaning mm. my chronic illness means I'm not going to get better and everyone's annoyed by that. So, hey, if you just took out this and this and this, you would be fine. It's and... worth a try or even everyone on the whole 30 craze who are like oh my god my body I have all this energy it's like changing their lives when they realize the food to cut out wheat belly is also an excellent book um I will show note this doctor. and there is so much to be said for like what we eat I've noticed that when I traveled overseas my um I have like a mild allergy to like wheat and I love it yeah. <laughs> I will not stop yeah but I noticed that my mouth doesn't itch when I'm in Paris or in Italy, I can eat any of the greens at all, and I don't get this like my tongue. My tongue swells a little bit when I eat oh, wheat. Wow. You would think that'd be a, like, hey, knock that off. But I've tried; it's bad. Yeah, I'm not nice. Um, but when I'm overseas and I eat anything, I'm totally fine. That's amazing, just the differences in how food is consumed in other cultures. And... Well, it's interesting when you start looking at food as medicine. Yeah. I mean, it's, we, we aren't taught to think of food that way here. Like, yes. it's um, it's reward, it's survival, it's... It's um, work out and eat whatever you want. Yeah, and then it's obsessive. And... Yeah, yeah, and even that pleasure principle or the mindless eating and, oh, fun fact, blue is an appetite suppressant, so I go buy some that. pretty blue plates. And I've heard that. Paint your kitchen with an accent wall. Well, I was talking to someone, and I'm... I'm um, massively painkillered up right now and um, so I'm forgetting whether it was a conversation privately I had or if it was on the podcast but she was talking to me about like that's the one pleasure left food yeah and that's um that's the thing I resonate with is like that's <laughs> there's not a lot 
lot when you're home all day, That's all true. the time, and then there's food. It was really hard to, like, not take advantage of that little, like, mood uplift. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And you, you grew up so Because <laughs> seriously, if you're hearing this meow, my cat is, like, trying to climb this <laughs> French door and trying to get in as much as she can. Like, she has nothing else to do, no mice to go hunt. She's, <laughs> she's single-minded right now. <laughs> Huge, beautiful backyard, but... But no, she wants to be in here in our little sound studio. <laughs> it's it's pretty cute. I someday I'm gonna like actually like video these because usually there's an animal running in or out or a child yeah. and <laughs> it gets heavily, heavily interesting. So you were talking about like that on the theater doors there was notifications. Mm-hmm. Um to move easier through the world, would you like I was really surprised by Pixar that I, I don't I understand not knowing it yeah. and not thinking about it if there's no one in anyone's life in the entire which I find hard to believe yeah. that in the entirety of Pixar there was no person who had an epileptic child epileptic friend epileptic nephew niece whatever that went uh there's a lot of flashing lights here yeah maybe maybe we put a warning on this like yeah. at the very least like I was so surprised that after it came to their attention there was not and maybe there was an immediate press release and I just didn't see it. But I was really surprised that I didn't see it because I'm pretty up on social media. Mm. I'm bored and I'm home a lot. <laughs> oh. I was surprised that they didn't like do a huge like, oh, 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 maybe we should say something about this. Yeah, you think they would like pull it from the theaters or at least use it as a great moment to... Good teachable moment. Yeah, do something. I mean, I don't know the length of it, but it only takes... It doesn't take very long for a flashing light to cause a spike in your brain. And there are so many different types of seizures. There are partial seizures. There are absence seizures where you just kind of stare into space. There's seizures that cause your eyes to flutter. But, like, how horrible that they might be responsible for someone having a seizure in a movie theater and no one can tell. Like, that's the other thing, like... Oh, yes, please explain this because when people think about epilepsy, they think about someone falling to the ground going to a massive grand mal seizure mm-hmm. and possibly biting off their tongue. Like that's, that's, yeah. that's like the instant mental go-to that I think a lot of people have. What do seizures look Which like for you? Which is fine. I mean, it's different for everyone. Um, there were times when I think I had a form of absence seizures where you just kind of zone out, I guess is the only way to describe it. And some kids, some of these kids who have, heart epilepsy they have that a lot of times during the day um for me I have learning disabilities and so I have a visual processing deficit and so there would be times I think the two are definitely connected there would be times where you're trying to do math and you can't because your brain isn't cooperating you're you can't think it doesn't make sense to you um but I also I I've always had to work really hard at math um but yeah, there are different types of seizures, and I think the hardest thing with epilepsy is it's terrifying for other people, and so it is, again, this weird power, like, because you don't know what it looks like, you don't remember it, some people are post-tictal, and after a seizure, and... Or what does post-tictal mean? It's like the time of coming out of a grand mal seizure, or even just, I can't speak for other types, but it's this little kind of come-down phase. Some people, I... In my experience, I've been really emotional. You get really apologetic. Sometimes people, when they have a grand mal seizure, they do, like, urinate on themselves. Um, 
some people are really combative afterwards or they just they're cooperative and they don't remember all different types and that can last anywhere like 30 seconds to a couple minutes it's different for everybody um but yeah that's another there's this whole cycle to a seizure even of just what happens in the brain what happens emotionally psychologically to your body like i'm just really trying to like um wrap my brain on the vulnerability like you said yeah i never talk about it I am so glad you're willing to, yeah, um, yeah. because it really does give me a different perspective of it, and I can really understand the vulnerability side. There's a whole part of time where you, it's, I realized I... Relying on the kindness of strangers. Like. That, and for me, I didn't grow up fainting, I didn't grow up losing consciousness, so for me, having a seizure, it's that whole having to really surrender to your body, but I also realized it's the closest thing I've experienced to death. Not that I've ever died, but that you you lose time. You don't know where you are. You're coming to and you're having to process all these things moving around you. And um, it's terrifying to figure out and to think, like it's been the one catalyst for me really trying to process mortality and process those spiritual sides of like I don't think about death because it terrifies me I am terrified I want to live forever (laughs) I have a book on heaven I've barely read like like no thank you I don't know what happens like I am a Christian but like like sometimes I'll think about it and it's like oh my god what do I know (laughs) (laughs) very rarely does someone leave me speechless that is like one of the major drives of human Mm -hmm. is if not the fear of death the acknowledgement of death I mean like I know that there are elephants that like understand that they go to their mother's bones or they they grieve Um, I don't think that's a purely human response but we do seem to be like so um, willing to let it drive our decisions and our entire lives. Yeah. Like, so we can become so paralyzed by the fear of it. That's, yes. that's so fascinating. When you're talking about, um, I guess maybe where I went with the vulnerability, I, I just saw, I don't know if you watched RuPaul's Drag Race. No. Okay, one of my favorite shows on the face of the earth. <laughs> um, but one of the things that um, its challenge was, was to think of, like, the worst part of yourself and what mm. you're scared of about yourself and then to show it. And one of my favorite drag queens, Miss Cracker, was talking about <laughs> I know it's hilarious, but there's so much, like, philosophy in this show that it just, yeah. And um, saying that editing herself was the the biggest thing that she has is the fear of being misunderstood, the fear of someone, like, deciding who and what she was without her input on it. Mm -hmm. And then to add on to that, like, the the vulnerability of a seizure where you're doing things or possibly saying things that you have no control over. Like, there's no editing of yourself during that time like, yeah it's really powerful I think that's like a long way around to that point no, but. <laughs> but yeah to not be able to control your body or to even there have been times where you think of the good Samaritan and it's like what if I did have a seizure while I'm driving or while I'm sitting in a movie theater or on a plane yeah or you don't know how other people will respond and I think that's the scariest part is will someone help me because if you're a single female in San Francisco or something like what happens, you know? Wow. Yes, I, I'm thinking about this from two different levels. Like, one, being female and being that vulnerable. And we've all read these stories of vulnerable females having 
really awful things happen to mm-hmm. them. Um, and then I'm also thinking from a privilege standpoint, since we were both very pale, yeah, there's a difference on how EMTs would treat us versus someone who looked very different than us. Like there's when I was um, more punk rock in my teenage years, mm-hmm. <laughs> I was in a horrible car accident. And they treated me so badly because I was dressed very punk and they kept telling me I was on drugs and I didn't take any drugs, but I looked like the kind of person who would take drugs. So they weren't treating my injuries the way they needed to treat them because they were convinced I was high and that anything they gave me would have killed me. So and I've heard from a lot of other people who are um, of different races than I am who have had those similar stories of like something awful medically happens to them and they're treated in a way that's that they that they're assuming that there's something else going on because mm-hmm. of how they look. Well, I can't speak to that, but I do know <clears throat> that they do think, oh, was this caused by drugs? What because you come upon someone, you don't know their medical history, you don't know mm. who they are, and you do have a big responsibility as an emergency responder to think about drug interactions, to think about oh, yeah. how to respond to things. And I don't know if race affects that. I've been in that community, that population of emergency response of law enforcement i this is the first time hearing of something like that oh wow okay i've heard it so many times um but yeah i don't know but when you're um it'd be so great for law Mm -hmm. enforcement to also take classes in um, what different disorders look like because they can look very different like pots can look like you are completely stoned when you can't respond and your (laughs) heart rate's falling through the floor okay and other such things sorry my brain's just on um a loop right now <laughs> how what was the diagnosis process for you um well that's the thing as I've gotten older I've thought about when I was like in high school and really coming to terms with it it's terrifying they have scans of your brain up you're too scared to be involved in the process and at an older age you want to understand your brain you want to know what's going on and what you're capable of and how it affects your life and is it epilepsy is genetic and when you have a baby like you read these forums of these pregnant women who are on medication and like what kind of precautions do you have to take in that way and wow I mean you're hitting on such an important point is that medications are not tested on pregnant women so a lot of the times you don't know what the interaction will be mm-hmm. and that's such a scary especially something like epilepsy to make those decisions yeah and because you don't want to depending on the type of seizure disorder people have you know you don't want to even a normal healthy pregnant woman with no neurological disorders you know there are those oh what do you eat how do you take care of the baby but then it's like oh what happens if you have a seizure and you're home alone and you fall a certain way and whatever turn you're at you know but I I have been told like no you can have children when the time comes we'll look at everything and like or there are certain drug interactions where like if you do get pregnant like this could lead to horrible disformities in the baby and disabilities and we have such a responsibility as human beings like when you're making life like (laughs) you know you never really think about that so I I had um, one child when I was in the middle of medications Mm -hmm. and that was really scary decisions to be made without a lot of information like there was you, none on yeah. what I was dealing with. Like, yeah. you don't want to sacrifice your health because no. then it's there's so much anxiety involved in epilepsy too. Sometimes people develop it, um, but it is this big fear of like 
what happens if I go off this thing that has kept me safe? Like, what happens to my body? How long would it take to develop these different symptoms or to develop just different things that could happen to you? And so that is a big decision for some people. So You bring up such a great point in that, like, it does change your decision-making process when you know you have something genetic on everything like yeah. not just what kind of jobs you're going to take where you're going to study in college but also whether you will consider having children or not and there's yeah. a whole lot to unpack there <laughs> yeah even like in how you process again children you're leaving behind this part of yourself and it can be a little narcissistic to have, See, I have children. a teenager right now who's just doing everything he can to not be like me oh. <laughs> it's adorable okay he's wonderful but it's so funny when you say a piece of you and I'm like he will fight every tooth and nail <laughs> to not be me um I loved what you were saying about that at the time when you were younger having a hard time being present during those doctor's appointments and and being there I how old were you when you were dealing with all this? Um, like 17 or 18, and you really don't comprehend it, but it's also this, a couple years ago when I altered my, how much medication I take and learned more about the general dosage of like a baseline dosage that everyone should be at, at a certain medication that you're on, and it was really liberating to be like, oh, these triggers, these things you're struggling with, these aren't your fault, you've just been under-medicated. And it's like, how much of that is due to different visits or different things that you did? But it's also, I mean, God is sovereign. This is your body. You didn't know this was going to happen. You can't change the past. You can only really celebrate, like, someone altering the course of your medical history. I mean, even... On the subject of that, there's this brilliant memoir that was just turned into a book. This woman is a reporter for the New York Post, um, Susanna Talon, I think is her name. We will link in show notes. Yeah. <laughs> she wrote a memoir. Oh, you are so organized. Uh, Kiros would love you so much. <laughs> he comes over for all of our panels with like three pages of everything linked like these they're works of beauty and I just <laughs> trash them every time with like oh but this shiny idea over here <laughs> sorry so. Okay. so she uh in 2009 she had this brain disease and it took them so long to diagnose it but she went into this state of psychosis and wow. for a month she was just this whole different person and she pieced it together by writing this article and I think it was titled my month of madness and then that led to her writing a memoir, which led to people around the world being able to diagnose this really rare disease. So basically... Was she the one with the... They had her draw a clock? Yeah. And that's yeah. when I read that. Oh my God, that was terrifying. And yeah. And so... Fascinating and yeah. amazing. And so it's like, oh my God, someone's writing about their disability and it's leading to all these other diagnoses and saving people's lives. But then there are all these articles now that they've made it a movie. I was just Googling it, trying to find this information, and all these bustle articles popped up. And it's like, is this a real thing? It's like, yes, fuckers. Like, it's a real thing. Like, this is someone's life. They're not faking this yeah. for fun and enjoyment. Yeah. And so that's the other hard part about, oh, here's your disability on display. How will people process that? It keeps going back to me for that, like, when – when Miss Crocker said that about like the fear of, of like needing to edit yourself so that other 
other people don't get the idea of you that you don't give them yeah resonates so much with like the chronic illness and you know but you said putting on the army of armor of disability mm-hmm. like at least then I know people take my disability seriously where it almost makes me afraid to like get into a wheelchair and use it for the time I need it and then the next errand I have to run might just be to walk five steps to something and then mm-hmm. I walk and I'm like oh god what is someone saw that like they might have the like little miracle meme that they put up whenever it is oh, yeah. like yeah or like when you're like at the airport and like you can walk a few steps but you need the wheelchair to get from gate to gate like yes. you always wonder like yeah the weirdest thing for me I was getting to know a guy a couple years ago and he had just this chronic fatigue and there's not a lot oh. of research with that and so he'd spend a lot of time trying to diagnose himself and Again, trying to alter, like, oh, he's taking Bart everywhere. But then, like, we'd be hanging out, and he'd just be, like, so ready, just so done. And I didn't comprehend that, just the way that that kind of disability affects your life. And I wonder if, like, the medical shows, like, House, and that's how old I am, House, and Grey's Anatomy, <laughs> and I, I don't know what the newest medical TV show is, understand how much of the population that are watching them are people with chronic illness that are trying to figure out what their diagnosis is like they know they're sick they know they're saying wrong and the doctors mm-hmm. aren't so I watched all those shows obsessively waiting for someone's symptoms to line up with mine for like 10 years because oh, I like, wow. could not get an answer as to why I was as sick as I was that's why we're so lucky there's communities like when I was at that party and I met the girl with epilepsy where it's like oh yeah and then the girl sitting right next to me oh I have epilepsy too and it's like sisterhood <laughs> like yeah like where were these people like oh my god this is so you get excited almost to feel like you belong and there are people who oh my goodness, right? you can connect with over this and talk about it with. Because I'd never had that. It'd been like 10 years and there are like millions of people who have epilepsy. And it's like, these are the first people I've ever met who also have this. And we're so lucky with social media. There are meetup groups. There are writing for healing groups. There's therapeutic communities doing all of this research and... I'm so glad they're here now. When I was growing up and I was going through it, there wasn't. I, yeah. I, first thing I had was dial-up internet. It was like yeah. <laughs> the Skrillex sound. Get out you, the yeah, it was. Um, th- that was not a thing when I <laughs> was younger. But for you, when you were younger, when did you start having the seizures? Um, I had one grand mal seizure when I was in high school, and I did a ton of athletics growing up. And so we were trying to piece it together. And the day before. I had gone from a track meet where I ran like my best mile time ever to a softball game to home and it was like oh I was dehydrated I was exhausted and when you're younger and something develops like with epilepsy it's weird because some people again are usually diagnosed in pediatric years of like teens Mm -hmm. or it develops later in life due to other life choices or substances um or even just oh you have migraines you're going to experience these symptoms um and so for me it was different as I've gotten older it's been different even just the ebb and flow of it and like growing out of things at a certain stage and then going back to medication and it's it's different for everybody but yeah for me I was like 17 18 and so I did cross country all through high school and so it's like oh how do you take those other precautions? Like, oh, don't let her run alone. You don't take baths. Oh, get a road ID. Like, what if you fall in the middle of a race and you're in the secluded part of a course on the trail? And, like, fortunately, there are always people around, but then 
I was never a very fast runner. And so I was like, <laughs> who's going to run with me every practice? And I was so lucky. Who's injured? <laughs> yeah, I was so lucky. There was this amazing man whose daughter was all-star, and he would run with me. And Aww. yeah, yeah. And so there's a lot of support in there. And just sort of, you just deal with things. Like even growing up with medical conditions and learning disabilities, it just becomes your normal. And you learn how to deal with it. And there are certain things you'll... You'll never understand. I'll never understand what it feels like to be really fast or really good at math or to have certain things come easy to me. And there is that otherness in there when you're disabled of like, what is that like? Like, what does that feel like? And then someone will have to remind me like, well, you're an amazing writer. Not everyone can write. And you're like, but that's not the same thing. Like, oh, no, like I go out. <laughs> so it's just like never satisfied. <laughs> I love that because you, you you bring up something that's so important is that there's a lot of things that we can do even being disabled, mm-hmm. but that doesn't take away from, I at least for, I don't want to put words in your mouth, no, but yeah. at least for me, like there is a level of grieving of like, there's a certain type of person I see myself as that I want to be and I can't be her. Yeah. Which is frustrating because then it's like, how do you cope with that of those moments where you suddenly can't go to something or even our email threads like oh we can't do this to say and it's like I'm learning so much just about the effect this has on your life and like like so yeah there are times where it just becomes your normal and you just deal with building your life around it really and reordering yeah. things well, I mean you said that it doesn't necessarily affect your daily life I was wondering how much of that is because you set up your life for that Basically, like, I always need eight hours of sleep. Again, fortunate I'm not doing investigations anymore and juggling seven cases and different bosses. And I'm not in a super stressful work field where there's no work-life balance or you're super emotional. That's the other thing. Your brain's still developing when you're, like, 26. Like, you're still building your emotions. You're still processing how to deal with things. Um... But yeah, I I have one cup of coffee a day. If I have more, it's decaf. I try not now to... I know why there's decaf. I never <laughs> understood. <laughs> I try not to eat too much sugar. I try not to stay out late. I try to sit in certain parts of lighting. Or even at the village. If you live in Castro Valley, they have these horrible bright lights in the parking lot at 580 Marketplace and at the Castro Valley Village. And they're just like, or even baseball games, like I was at a baseball game and they have the stadium lights on and like, oh, I got to put a hat on and like glasses and look like a ridiculous person because this is too bright for me and I can't focus and this isn't fun and just the different ways that life can make you learn more about your own limitations. So. We are. There's so much else I have to ask you. I'm like, oh, we're almost sure. at an hour. Okay. Ah, um, I'm gonna have to have you come back because I really want to talk about learning disabilities. Oh yes, we should. <laughs> we're but... going to have to have another yes. like sit down chat. There's still so much left to cover, but I'm so happy with what we've talked about. Yeah. Um, going back to my favorite Tim Ferriss question: Is there anything under a hundred dollars you've bought that helps you with epilepsy? Well, those pink glasses were expensive because I wanted them to look halfway decent. Yes. So I got so not $100. a fancy frame and they were like made in Richmond and it took way too long to get them made. Um, 
We can go over 100 for this very special case. I mean, those are helpful. <laughs> Even if you have migraines or sit in an office all day under fluorescent lighting. Do you know what brand it is? Um, if you go to Kaiser, they'll show you different frames. And it was funny. Even I was talking with a girl, and she's like, oh, what are you using this for? And she's like, oh, I had this thing happen in a car. And I'm like, oh, go get tested. Yeah, please, if it's something. happening in a car, like, get tested. <laughs> yeah, and so... Those helped a lot when I was in a certain stage of work-life balance and having different triggers and being under-medicated. Those helped, and sometimes I do still use them, um, and I made sure they were, yeah, again, kind of cute because I was super mortified to have to <laughs> wear glasses inside, um, so those helped a lot, um, and then just literature, how you educate yourself, how you process your disability, whether it's through writing or art or being an advocate. Um, those things are pretty priceless and helps you learn a lot about the stories you tell yourself about your disability and your capabilities and who you are. So That's amazing. And this has been some fantastic <laughs> advice and, uh, thank you for the, the free therapy session. Oh, thank I you. appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> and thank you so much for tuning in this week. It means so much to Kiros and I. We're still a baby podcast. We're only six months old. And if you would like to be really, really nice to us, you can share this episode with a friend or someone you wish understood chronic illness or invisible disorders better. And you can also go to iTunes, leave an embarrassingly nice review, and of course, press that subscribe button. Tune in for a new episode next Monday a.m. And until next time, be kind, be gentle, and be a badass.
Thank you so much for tuning in this week. It means so much to Kiros and I. We are still a baby podcast. We're only six months old. And if you would like to be really, really nice to us, you can share this episode with a friend or someone you wish understood chronic illness or invisible disorders better. And you can also go to iTunes, leave an embarrassingly nice review, and of course, press that subscribe button. Tune in for a new episode next Monday a.m. And until next time, be kind, be gentle, and be a badass.